That Girl podcast is provided to you by Zoetis, the leading animal healthcare company that develops and markets innovative products such as Vanguard, CIV, H3N2, H3N8. Zoetis is dedicated to supporting its customers and their businesses. Building on more than 60 years of experience in animal health, Zoetis discovers, develops, manufactures, and markets veterinary vaccines and medicines, complemented by diagnostic products and genetic tests and supported by a range of services. For more information, visit www.zoetis.com. Hi, Vet Girl here today with Rachel Poulin, who's an RVT, VTS in small animal internal medicine. And today we're going to be talking about how we can empower our veterinary technicians and veterinary nurses to have the conversation and deal with client pushback. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So just so our audience knows who you are, can you give us a little bit of background about who you are, what you do, and why you decided to pursue VTS in small animal internal medicine? Absolutely. So yeah, I went to Columbus State Community College, graduated in 2007, and started working actually while I was still in school. I spent eight years at Coral Springs Animal Hospital in South Florida, where I pursued my specialty and obtained it. Um, And I absolutely loved it there. But uh, Colorado was calling. So I relocated and I moved into industry where I am now working with retention, recruiting, learning and development, and really putting a focus on the quality of CE and retention and development that we offer. About three years ago, I left the floor and moved to an industrial position with Amerivet Veterinary Partners. I've been very, very happy with them. And most recently, I am in the retention, recruiting, learning and development. So I'm trying to take my experience and my knowledge and use it to empower our technicians, raise the bar on care. I get to work with a lot of passionate people with like minds. So it's it's been a wonderful setting. Awesome. And so you're the re- regional recruiting manager for Amerivet Veterinary Partners. And I will say, you know, as a veterinarian, I never thought I would go into industry. And I left clinical practice, gosh, back in 2008, took five years off, went into industry. And that's a whole different podcast of the awesome benefits of being able to work in veterinary industry, right? Yes, I absolutely love it. And it's it's still nice to be able to have a handle on what's happening on the floor and finding out where training or, or education is needed or appreciated or wanted. So it's, it's like I have the best of both worlds. Awesome. Well, what I wanted to do is I wanted to talk to you today about how we can empower our staff to have the conversation and deal with pet owner client pushback. Now, veterinarians work with our veterinary technicians, and it's so important that we have a really strong team. And I honestly think that we should be delegating and empowering and educating our veterinary technicians more. Technicians can and should be having the vaccine discussions with our clients. And with veterinarians supporting this, it really frees up the veterinarian and empowers the technician. And honestly, it leads to greater efficiency for the team and greater job satisfaction for the staff. So in the next couple of minutes, can you tell us how you can empower and encourage veterinary technicians to have the talk and just ways of being able to educate the public? Do you have five tips to be able to empower us to do this? Yes, absolutely. I do. And I could not agree with you more. Empowering and utilizing your technicians is only going to create a better work environment, better retention, happier technicians, and it's going to feed that bottom line and take better care of your clients and patients. So absolutely, let's go over my five things to empower techs to educate your clients 
and deal with the pushback. So the first one that is so important is to be prepared. The staff needs to know what the vaccine protocol is. As a team at a staff meeting, all of you together need to have a good solid foundation of what are the protocols, what are the core vaccines, what does your practice recommend, and most importantly, why? What is the thought process behind this? Because the staff needs to buy in. The staff needs to believe in the protocol so that they can turn around and explain it and show that they actually do believe in it. So number one, make sure everybody is on the same page with the vaccine protocols for that hospital and the why of the vaccine protocols for their hospital. That's going to add to your confidence and being able to regurgitate the information to our clients, but not in a robotic form, being able to really believe in what you're saying and take the time and energy that is needed to teach it and educate our clients. So that would be my number one. I think that's really important because you're always going to have that situation where the front desk staff or the CSR or the veterinary technician or the veterinarian are all saying different things. And when that's relayed to the pet owner, it's very confusing. It's confusing for our own staff. So totally agree. You want to be prepared because sometimes your clinic may have different core vaccine recommendations from AHA or AVMA based on where you live or based on how social your pets are. So really important information. Now, absolutely. the second way to be able to empower techs to educate the public? So this one for me is really fun because it's rehearsing. Rehearse your appointments, your potential pushback with your coworkers. To me, this accomplishes two goals. One is we have an opportunity to role play some potentially difficult conversations to put our coworkers and ourselves in a position to have to talk our way through it and stay positive, stay educated, and really work through these conversations. That's one. The other reason is rehearsing these scenarios and doing role playing can be a great team building project. And it can be something that you set aside for a certain amount of time at your monthly staff meetings to go through a role play of an owner that doesn't believe in vaccines or go through a role play of an owner that had a puppy five years ago that had a vaccine reaction so that you are prepared and it becomes part of your culture. You're doing team building, you're building up your rapport with each other and your confidence with each other as well as being prepared and building up your confidence in the actual conversation you need to have. I remember having to practice this as a first-year veterinary student, and we would have one classmate role-playing the student and one role-playing the pet owner. And it's very awkward and it's <laughs> stressful, but honestly, it was so helpful. So I can't agree with you more. When in doubt, you want to, number one, be prepared. Number two, rehearse. What's your third Absolutely. tip for being able to empower techs? Third tip is probably my favorite one, and that is think outside the box. I think as veterinary technicians, we're pretty good at problem solving and thinking outside the box and thinking on our feet. And so this kind of invites that in. And what I mean by that is you have an opportunity to sort of let your creativity come through. So some examples of that My number one would be create handouts. You're going to be battling against social media and television and Facebook groups. And my best friend's cousin's sister had a puppy and this happened. So create handouts that have good, solid, reputable information on them. And we can definitely go over some. That would be number one. But in terms of how far you can go with this, 
there's so much that you can do. You can create a public awareness program where maybe once a month or once every other month, you do some sort of, for lack of a better word, class where you invite people into the clinic to listen to you talk about the importance of vaccines or listen to the doctor talk about the importance of vaccines. Of course, in the era of COVID-19, maybe that's a Zoom call instead of actually coming into the clinic where we're all adjusting here. But that would be another thing that would help get the word out and most importantly, offer sound advice and good evidence-based medicine. The other thing that is uh, super fun to do that us that usually gets clients engaged is Facebook Live interviews. If you're in a room with a client who is doing their first puppy visit or not even their first puppy visit, anything associated with vaccines, you ask them, hey, can we do a quick three-minute Facebook Live interview? Can you share with us why you chose to get vaccines today? You do this enough and you start sort of pinging all these different areas and you start to get your message out and you're the one doing it. You and your team are creating this sort of education campaign, if you will, to get really good, solid information out there. And with all of those efforts, obviously your clients are going to see how much you care and how important this is to your clinic. Fantastic. I also agree. I love the idea of thinking outside the box. I Honestly, when I take my own two-year-old toddler to the pediatrician, most of the time I'm only speaking to my pediatrician for 10 minutes and it's the other 15 minutes or 10 minutes that I'm speaking with the nurse. And I always get one to two pages of handouts from them when I have my exam. And I really love that because it's a great checklist for me to make sure that I'm on point with my kids' care. More importantly, it provides a lot of important information that is a credible source. We all know a lot of our pet owners are going to Dr. Google, and you might as well take the opportunity to make sure you're providing them the best sourced information. So love the idea of creating a handout. And what better time during COVID-19 when you may have furloughed employees or you're trying to prevent that of being able to bulk up on your protocols, your SOPs, your handouts, your client literature, such an important way. This is a great opportunity to start focusing on those things and revamping training and looking at those SOPs because some practices do have downtime and even some practices that are closed, but we have work that they can do. So it's an opportunity as well to get things updated and maybe changed or adjusted during this time. Absolutely. And if you're looking for hours, I will say if your clinic has a Facebook page, you can use something that's totally free called Hootsuite, H-O-O-T-S-U-I-T-E. We're not sponsored by them, but I will say that we love using them where you can pre-schedule all your social media posts for up to three channels. So Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever you want to use, and you can pre-schedule them. So during downtime, this is a great way for you to be able to get your message out think outside the box, and be able to pre-schedule that in advance. It's a great idea. I love Hootsuite. Now, what do you have for a fourth idea of how we can educate our pet owners while also empowering our veterinary technicians? So my fourth tip and trick for empowering is create a task force. Now, this actually serves a couple of different purposes. The number one purpose in my eyes and the most important is it creates almost forces employee engagement. So what I'm talking about is taking a member of your staff from each department. So you have a member of your reception team, a member of your support staff, one of your technicians and a doctor. If you have other departments, please, by all means, bring them in, but have one point person from each department. 
that comes together on a regular basis and talks about the protocols, the policies, the updates. And that team works together to decipher the information to the rest of the staff. You have the buy-in from the people on your task force that are in these meetings talking about the why in terms of why these things are, are being updated or changing or what the policies and protocols are. And then each one of them gets to go back to their own department and educate their own department. What this creates is empowerment and buy-in from these members of your staff. And then they go back and they spread this exact same message to their departments. So we have a unified message that is going out to every person that calls. Why is it important that every single member of your staff is saying the same message? Well, who do your clients talk to first? Your technicians probably aren't answering the phone on a regular basis. It's your receptionists. Have you ever seen a client ask a question to somebody that just happens to be outside dropping off a pet? Everybody needs to have the same message because your staff is going to interact with your clients and it shows the organization, the efficiency and the camaraderie, as well as the passion of each member of your team when they're all on the same page. Love it. And I also say you never really get it until you work in a different position. So for veterinarians, if you take the time to like answer some of the phone calls, it's really stressful. So being able to have that task force, I love that idea of having a veterinarian, a CSR, a support staff, a veterinary technician be able to team up together to be able to create that protocol because it's really going to see perspectives from different areas. So love that idea. What's the last way that you have of being able to empower your veterinary technicians as a way of educating your pet owners? This one is more directed at our veterinarians and it is really about supporting your team and letting go. A lot of our doctors are happy to say, yes, please lead the appointment, keep me updated, and you work out whatever your protocols are for that particular doctor. But in some areas, this is still a little scary for some. The idea of your technician leading the appointment and basically coming out and saying, okay, X, Y, and Z is done. Here's your history. Here's what needs to be done. Here are your vaccines. Let's go. I can name a bunch of veterinarians that would be thrilled with this, and I'm assuming you're probably one of them, but it can also be a little bit jarring for some doctors to have to, to let go. Remember, we're talking about brilliant doctors that are very type A. So we want to support and make sure that this is a comfortable, respectful transition for some. And the first thing that needs to happen is you need to invest some time in your technicians. We need to know what your process is. I went to school. I'm very well educated. I'm very well trained. But if I step on the floor tomorrow with a brand new doctor, I'm going to need some time and some training as to how I support you, your particular needs, your packs, your systems. If you take that time and put that energy into your technician so that they can always be a step ahead of you, that time is going to come back to you tenfold. The internist I worked with for eight years, she invested a lot of time and energy into me. And as a result, I ran her rooms. She had one of the most profitable quarters of her career because she had two technicians that were trained for what she needed and what she wanted. And we were constantly busy running multiple rooms. The efficiency that can be created when you invest time and energy into making sure your technician knows you and what you want is unmeasurable. 
Couldn't agree more. I will also say, God bless all of you veterinary technicians who have to deal with so many different doctors. I know the staff that I work with, it drives them nuts because each criticalist practices a different way. I do this. Oh, yeah. This is criticalist A does X, Y, and Z. And so everyone's going to practice differently. But it is so important that we as veterinarians make sure that we're embracing and encouraging and empowering our veterinary staff. And the more that you educate, the more that people are passionate about a certain topic. So I really think this is important. Again, you guys all know that veterinary technicians are right hand and left hand. And again, being able to rely on our staff to help educate and communicate with our pet owners is so important. Knowing that you might have to tweak it between each different criticalist or each different staff doctor. So great point. I think the biggest thing is having the technicians drive the vaccine conversation really allows you to be able to free up some time as a veterinarian but offer better service to your pet owners. It empowers your staff and it adds efficiency to your team, which ultimately is going to improve your bottom line. And again, it's going to help minimize that burnout, that compassion fatigue when people are really passionate about what they're doing to take care of their patients. Absolutely. And it serves the doctor so much more knowing that they have a technician that has a good relationship with their clientele and that they're confident in the message that is being given given because they know that that technician is an extension of themselves and it's going to be one fluid conversation and there's trust there, but that trust has to be built. So both parties, the technician and the doctor need to take the time and develop that trust and develop that rapport. Once it's developed, it's priceless. Now, I wanted to bring up a question. What if you have a hard time convincing clients or even your own coworkers about vaccines that may not be core? And what I specifically mean are things like lepto or dog flu. How do you discuss this risk with both your staff and with your pet owners? Great question. So lepto and flu, obviously, in all clinics are not core However, depending on your area and quite frankly, with lepto becoming so much more common, it does need to be a conversation. Start with educating yourself and making sure the entire team understands why these vaccines are so important. And if they're so important, why aren't they core? Because you might get that question. So we're going to go back to the five tips and include lepto in the be prepared. Why are we recommending it? What is so important about it? There's so much information online. Vet Girl is an amazing resource, but really take some time and find out about leptospirosis. Find out about the dog flu so that when you are talking about it, you can relate to it. And are your own dogs vaccinated for leptospirosis and the flu? Share that. Mine are. What I used to get pushback from clients, I would say, look, I understand my own dogs are vaccinated for this. This is not something I mess around with. That's one way to start. The other way you could do is, again, bringing in the team building is start educating yourself as a team together. Find some online webinars and watch them together as a team during your meetings and then invite a discussion about them. These are not vaccines that we're just making up. So we need to be able to relay this information and the importance of this information with confidence. Now, one of my all-time favorite ways of educating clients comes from a hospital in Minnesota, and I do have permission to share this, Pine City Animal Hospital. They keep a whiteboard in their reception area of positive canine tests and positive feline tests for that year. 
and they track things like Lyme disease, heartworm, uh, anaplasmosis, ehrlichiosis, whatever is common in the area, whatever you particularly want to highlight, they update it every time there's a positive case in the area, whether it's their own hospital or they get word from a surrounding area, they update it. So when the clients walk in, bam, that's what they see. Oh, wow, they've diagnosed six cases of heartworm this year in this area. Maybe I need to ask about that. So putting it in their face, getting it out there and showing them that, hey, this is your zip code and this stuff's coming up positive. So let's have a conversation. It's been very successful for that hospital. And I would highly recommend bringing that into all hospitals. Great idea. A great way of being able to think about outside the box. And, you know, when we see things like that, there's so much Lyme disease or so many positive anaplasmosis cases. It reiterates the importance of preventative care. Yes, some of these have vaccines, but more importantly, emphasizing they need a quick kill flea and tick medication. So again, a great opportunity to be able to educate. I can't agree with you more, Rachel. I have the philosophy, practice the way you would if it was your own pet. And that's always been my philosophy. And with my own pit bull mix, he was vaccinated ever since he was a puppy out to 20 weeks. I vaccinated him every single year for three years. I have it on my Google calendar to do a physical exam once a year. Otherwise we'll forget. And we know that uh, vet staff's pets are the most neglected sometimes. And I also make sure that he's vaccinated every three years once he's more mature, but even my own dog is vaccinated annually for lepto. And this Absolutely. Is, and this is because I'm at the headquarters of the Mississippi and we have a ton of lepto mm. here. I also think it's important because where I practice, we have um, the ability to bring in our own staff pets. And when there was a big outbreak of dog flu several years ago, none of our staff pets were actually vaccinated for this. It is really important, especially if you have grooming permitted or even kenneling at your facility that you update your boarding policy. The reason why this is important is because we want to make sure our own pets and our patients are being protected against any disease that's going to be from canine infectious respiratory disease, whether or not that's Bordetella, parainfluenza, H3N2, or H3N8. So after that dog flu outbreak, gosh, back in Chicago of 2015, since then, we've actually updated our own policy for our own staff pets and for those that are being boarded to make sure that they're protected. It's also important that you educate your pet owners. By the time an outbreak happens, for example, with dog flu, that first vaccine isn't going to protect that pet. It's not until they get that second vaccine. And typically it's a few weeks after that second vaccine and that body has had time to mount an immune response that that pet's going to be protected. So again, making sure that we're educating our own staff about this. So important. All right. What if you want to take a bigger role when it comes to building up your team and taking on more client responsibility and education. Do you have any advice on how to approach your manager on how you can be a disease prevention champion? You know, I get this question a lot after I lecture or uh, something like that. Somebody will come up to me and say, you know, how do I do this if my manager is resistant? Or how do I do this if my doctor won't listen? The bottom line is our managers and our doctors and our administrators are overwhelmed and busy and and crazy. If you're going to go to your superiors with an idea, plan it out. First of all, I am a very big believer in just do it. And by saying just do it, I'm not saying, you know, go ahead and just 
go crazy on your company's social media. That's not what I mean. What I mean is figure out what you want to do and strategically plan a way for you to get there. So when you go to your manager, in this case, as an example, you're not going to say, hey, I really want to be the disease prevention champion of the hospital. Can I be? Or go to your manager with a well thought out plan on what is this role? What does it entail? And steps to how you're going to get there and then highlight the benefits that it brings to the practice. Educate yourself. Make sure that you are going in there confident that you know your diseases, you know your preventions, you know your numbers in terms of what value this will bring and do a formal presentation. I have had this done couple of times as a manager, and I have been so impressed every single time that my employee took the time and energy to put together a well thought out proposal. So let's say your manager hears you out, is impressed with your proposal, but now's not the time to implement something. And that's very, very possible. Well, that's fine. You've got your foot in the door. You've impressed your manager. Now let's look outside the box and see what can you do on your own, unaffiliated with your clinic, that can create a position for you where you are that champion. An example that I can give you is I do a lot of work in diabetes and there wasn't a lot going on at my clinic at the time. So I reached outside the box to see what else can I do and learn and manage with diabetes. And I found a lot of online resources. I found some really good vet tech groups that have been valuable. I started writing articles. I started posting blogs and eventually I started getting into speaking and educating completely separate from my clinic. And then I was able to bring that into my clinic and it was very successful. So that is a very long-winded way of, of telling you that the four walls of your clinic don't necessarily have to hold you in. You can work within them. And if you're put on hold or you're not met with open arms right away, you can find ways to explore outside of your clinic. Great information. Thanks, Rachel. Last thing Absolutely. I wanted to bring up, how do I convince dog clients that bringing in their cat housemate <laughs> is important? We don't want to forget about our feline friends. And I think we all know that they're an underserved uh, population that doesn't get the same preventative care. So do you have any tips for what we can do? Yeah, absolutely. So I totally agree. I would see my dog clients on a regular basis. And a lot of times it would be, well, if I can catch the cat, I'll bring the cat in too. Or, oh, the cat's fine. I don't need to bring him in right now. So a couple of things. Yes, cats need just as much wellness care and annual care as dogs. And I would argue sometimes we want to pay a little bit more attention to our cats because they're just so good at hiding things. So yes, taking the cat to the clinic can be very stressful. Again, I want to point to the whiteboard idea and highlighting, maybe even having a separate whiteboard highlighting the incidence of infectious disease in cats in the area so that when your clients walk in, they see that. I would also create and help educate our clients on how to create something like a happy cat kit. I would also want to educate our clients on the beauty of mild sedation before an appointment. Gabapentin and cats is just a beautiful combination and it takes the edge off the kitty cat while still allowing them to be present and alert in the clinic. And almost more importantly, if not equally as important, it de-stresses our clients. I have had so many clients walk in just wound up because of the stress of the car ride and I'm afraid my cat's going to hurt somebody and I'm afraid my cat's going to get hurt because it's so stressed out. So being able to offer that pre-visit gabapentin to take that edge off is really, really important and 
tends to take that block away from our clients of, oh my God, I'm not gonna be able to get the cat. No, we now have a system and it can be very, very smooth and calm and create a better experience for the cat and the client. In terms of transportation, I think everybody needs to have some feel away. Leave the carrier out. Don't hide the carrier in the closet and just bring it out when it's time to go to the vet. Because guess what? Cats are smart and they're going to know, oh, the carrier is out. Something bad's going to happen. I'm going to go disappear under the bed where nobody can reach me. So create that carrier as a second home or similar to how we train our dogs, put treats in there, put bedding in there, put feel away in there and make it a comfortable place for your kitty so that when it's time to go to the vet, you're not chasing it around with the cage. And lastly, I would say handouts. I'm obviously a big, big believer in handouts and I am saying it again, but create a kitty care handout that really focuses on the why we want to see your kitties at least once a year and tips and tricks to keep them calm and make sure you talk to your clients early in the cat's life about regular office visits and ways that we can decrease the stress like feel away and creating the safe place in the carrier and gabapentin. As an emergency critical care veterinary specialist, honestly, I rarely get the opportunity to be able to see patients that are medicated with anxiolytic drugs or drugs like gabapentin, trazodone prior to veterinary visit because our cases are emergent. But I'm also often dismayed that more veterinary clinics aren't prescribing some of these drugs more readily. We really see a lot of reactive patients, especially our feline patients. And so again, when in doubt, love gabapentin prescribe it more. One of the biggest things that I see is a lot of veterinarians will say, well, your cat hasn't been here in five years. We can't prescribe a medication because we don't know if he has heart disease or underlying disease. Well, that cat owner is never going to bring their cat back in, right? So the margin of safety with gabapentin is so high. When in doubt, it's so helpful to decrease the reactiveness of that cat. So 100 milligrams in that cat the night before the veterinary visit, another 100 milligrams two hours before that veterinary veterinary visit really do help so much. And, you know, I have had situations where I've seen a 19-year-old indoor apartment cat all of a sudden come down with pan Luke because the pet owner decided to foster a bunch of kittens. And so really important that we educate pet owners, even when they think their cat is protected in an apartment inside, that may not be the case. The other important scenario that I've seen is, I believe it was Tufts Vet School that published a study several years ago looking at geriatric dogs that were in their ICU, and they actually did distemper parvovirus titers, and these dogs that had routine veterinary care had low non-protective titers when they were critically ill. So it does reiterate how important it is to keep our dogs and our cats safe. Absolutely. I can't stress it enough. My 14-year-old Pitbull is IBD and immune compromised, and he is not up to date on all of his vaccines, which is why our cat is and our five-year-old little pup is, because I need to protect him even more given that he, I'm not vaccinating him because of his autoimmune disease. So there's just so many reasons why we need to stay up to date on our vaccines, not just for that particular animal safety, but also for the safety of some animals that can't be vaccinated. Great. Well, fantastic information, Rachel. Thank you so much. Remember- Thank you for having me. It's been quite an honor.
Of course. Don't forget, it's so important for the entire team to be on the same page when it comes to vaccine protocols, recommendations, and resources. Remember, one message, one team, so important. Don't underutilize social media. It's a great way of being able to help educate our pet owners. And again, make sure that you're empowering your staff and your veterinary technicians to have that conversation, to be able to deal with pet owners when they get pushback, and to help make sure that our pet owners are being good pet advocates. And we're going to, again, do that by empowering and encouraging our technicians and really promoting education at so many levels. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. 